My advice would be um, sit down with yourself and know what your values are and what your principles are and know that you'll never waver from them. This podcast is brought to you by Dentons, the world's largest law firm with a global team that builds agile, tailored solutions to meet the local, national, and global needs of private and public clients of any size in 183 locations serving 75 countries. Hi everyone, my name is Heather Barnhouse, partner and lawyer in our Edmonton office. Welcome to my podcast where I explore the topic of women in entrepreneurship and leadership and the ecosystem supporting the growth of this segment. Today I'm joined by Kylie Beaudry, Chief Executive Officer of Parkland Flower. I'm excited to talk to her today about her experience growing a business in the cannabis sector. Welcome Kylie. Hi, thank you for having me Heather. Oh, it's a pleasure. Can you give our listeners a little bit of background about yourself and about Parkland Flowers' history? Sure. Um, So I'm a mom of three, and uh, uh, before I embarked on a cannabis journey, I worked in oil and gas um, up north in Fort McMurray, and uh, I was an occupational health and safety professional, so regulatory compliance, auditing, incident investigation, risk assessments, all of those kinds of things rolled into one, training and development of the workforce, and then I had children. And so I took a break <laughs> to raise my kids, and um, I've always been a cannabis consumer uh, since I was a, a teenager, and um my father-in-law uh, was diagnosed with cancer uh, when I was pregnant with my second child back in 2012. And when we went to talk to the oncologist, uh, he was not very cannabis friendly at the time. Mm-hmm. And we just wanted to have him to have something a little bit more comfortable. Uh, so we started making cannabis oil for him. And that kind of got me kick-started into making products with cannabis. And it developed from there. I ended up meeting a grower. And we incorporated Parkland Flower in 2018, and we are now uh, licensed to grow and sell cannabis in Canada. That's exciting. And I know that you've uh, recently hit a bit of a milestone for the company that we were just chatting about beforehand. Um, what's exciting in your business from, you know, from the 2018 incorporation date to today? Well, we hit a, quite a few milestones uh, this year, uh, waiting on our cannabis license. Uh, so we, 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 were, we applied for our license back in November of 2019, and mm-hmm. then we were licensed on August 14th. So that was a huge milestone for us. Then we were Great. able to go into production, start growing cannabis plants. Um, our first product to market is going to be cannabis seeds for the retail <laughs> side of things. So people can grow their own cannabis at home. We are big advocates of people being able to grow the plant themselves and try their hand at at growing cannabis, and it's a very underserved market, so we're Mm -hmm. really excited. Um, The milestone we hit today is our very first order of seeds are going out to Albertans in the next couple of weeks. We just got confirmation of that order. Hmm. Well, that's uh, that's an exciting milestone. It's always fun to, you know, to track those milestones and then see uh, the, the growth and the development of the company. So so that's great for your company. 
I wanted to ask you about the cannabis industry um, generally. So now that we're a couple of years past the legalization of cannabis, we've seen a lot of fluctuations in the market for cannabis companies, seeing now that some of them are struggling to sustain the levels of growth that they were originally driving for. What's your reaction to that as a, as a company that was really incorporated right around the time that uh, legalization was taking place? Well, I think, um, you know, a lot of people looked at the cannabis industry as it was just, you know, there was a lot of hype and there was a lot of stock plays and there was a lot of stock pumping. And Mm -hmm. when these very large cannabis companies who had been operating in the medical side, you know, they gave assurances to Health Canada that, you know, they were going to be able to meet this demand and that they were going to be able to sell all this cannabis. You know, if they if they raised ten million dollars, two million of it went to pumping the company, pumping the stock, mm. and raising more money, mm-hmm. and right. um, and they just didn't have sustainable models. Um, you know, mm-hmm. the revenues projections were very off. They didn't understand the market, and uh, and not everybody understands the market yet because it's it's brand new. It's a brand new market. It's it's very hard to determine, you know, what are consumers going to like? You can't really do focus groups. There's, you know, your research is very limited and you're going on what the medical market was. And it's, of course, there's not a a lot of data on the illicit side. I mean, nobody's right. (laughs) Nobody has actual (laughs) data (laughs) on how the illicit side is doing. And so, right. You know, there, there, you know, there was lots of, you know, billion dollars, you know, was, this is the, you know, what the industry is going to be. And, and so there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of money pumping out. Um, you know, I went to trade shows and they're not cheap. Those kind right. of trade oh, shows, sure. you know, and those companies are spending an upwards of a hundred to $200,000 a trade show and not one product going out on the market yet. So, you know, there was just a lot of, um, you know, business decisions. There was a lot of compensation packages, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that may not have been (laughs) well-deserved. So, you know, I think that's where some of those large, large companies were were kind of falling down. And some of them will be able to pick up their socks. They're, you know, they're getting lean and trying to really struggle to get back in there. And then now there's small companies like my own. And lots mm-hmm. of others. There's, um, I have what's called a micro cultivation license. There's 130 mm-hmm. micro license holders in Canada today. And that license allows for small producers to enter the market with um, a little less barriers to entry than, say, the large, mm-hmm. large producers. We're small, we're right. nimble. We come out with yeah. a, you know, a handcrafted artisanal product. Um, oftentimes, uh, you know, we're family farmers and, um, and we have a story and that's what differentiates us from these larger publicly traded companies that their sites are not necessarily set on Canada. A lot of them, their sites are sent on, set on international markets. And so that's, that's a big difference for us. Yeah. Um, so in, in for the micro companies and the, and the companies that are operating at a much, much smaller scale, obviously there's a, there's a few things, right? The, the benefit of, of sort of the hype and, and the, maybe the crash that we've seen and the, the lack of sustainability in some of the business models or the plans that they had um, developed. What, 
once you've got your strategy, so as a little guy, once you've got your strategy set, how do you diligently focus on its execution? Well, it's it's farming. So it's, it's agriculture. You There's a lot of projections. There's a lot of risks uh, to mitigate. Um, you know, you're, you're growing out a plant and you're not entirely sure what it's going to do in the environment that you're putting it in. You know, a lot of these small micros had to build all new facilities. Same with the big right. guys. You know, that's another yep. thing, right? And trying to scale something. I mean, we went from a little small, you know, 250 plant medical grow to now a facility that can house over a thousand plants. So even oh, wow. at that yeah. scale, there's, there's quite a few challenges. It's, it's, and it's learning how to grow organically. And not, I don't mean organically as in, you know, using organic practices. I mean, organically <laughs> right. as in growing sustainably um, right. and, and being able to manage what you're doing. So we have eight grow rooms, for example, we started growing in two. When we got our license, we started, to, we fired two up. We wanted to see how they would grow, how the environment is, and we would learn from that and then start our next room. Learning from what, from the lessons. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So we're just kind of really taking it slow and it does cost, it costs us more in time and, and in some, in some ways production. But at the same time, it reduces our labor costs because now we don't have eight rooms all going at once and having to harvest all mm. at once. Now we can do a perpetual harvest. We can have really solid, we can build a really solid team that's on full time as opposed to hiring seasonal workers every time we have that right. harvest. So these are just little things that, um, you know, when you're trying to scale something is taking your time with it and being very methodical about your decision making. Yeah. And what I like about that is you also then get the benefit of, of data, like real-time data. Oh, you know what, that, that, that plant didn't seem to be as popular as this other one. And so you haven't invested a thousand plants at something that the consumer isn't ultimately interested in. You know, you've got that real-time data to be able to continue to inform uh, future, future plans. Or you might have a plant, you know, we're in it, we're in a very, in a marketplace that's very much dictated by cannabinoid content. So you've mm-hmm. got a consumer that thinks that when they look at a package, if it's, you know, they want that over 20% THC and it doesn't matter how great your product is, they are demanding that high content. So you come out with, with a run of plants and you get 18%. Now you're not in that top dollar mark anymore. And so you may have to change your plant, even if it's a great experience and it's an awesome plant and it's a, it's wonderful. The consumer is not completely educated yet about the product. And that's going to come in time as the market matures. So we have to mature with it um, and be nimble in that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really important um, aspect is that that uh, that agility and the ability to really be nimble and pivot. And lots of companies, especially in this pandemic, have had to pivot. But what you're really doing is is building in the deliberate sort of agility or or ability to pivot throughout as kind of part of your strategy, as opposed to saying, "Oh, we have a pandemic now. What are we going to do?" Uh, which many businesses have had have have really had to do lately. Yeah, for sure. 
So in, in some businesses, and, and yours would be an example of this, the, the regulatory framework is, is very onerous and it can be overwhelming for, for business owners who start up a company and they're everything. They're the, you know, the chief bottle washer, they're the plumber, they're the HR manager, they're the marketer. How did you approach balancing this very onerous regulatory framework and being diligent and thoughtful in in approaching that while at the same time trying to figure out all these other aspects that maybe aren't as as unique or as onerous in your particular business so in our case um you know (laughs) chief bottle washer i like that um in (laughs) our case i i was not only regulatory compliance and, and completing our application for health canada i was also the project manager Um, Mm -hmm. and, um, my two business partners, um, we were all three of us in there during construction, um, and we put in a lot of elbow grease and you Mm -hmm. need to look at who it is that you're working with and determine what skill sets you all have and what you're Mm -hmm. missing. And so things Mm -hmm. that we were missing is none of us were electricians, none of us were HVAC. Um, so, uh, and none of us were engineers. So those were three very key pieces to our construction is having a, you know, certified electrical company, an engineer that can get stamp drawings to, so we can pass our building permits and, and development right. permits. And then having yep. that HVAC, HVAC is very key um, right, when you're course. dealing with, you know, plants that tr- transpire uh, moisture. And so, yeah. you know, everything else we could do ourselves yeah. and, and yeah. worked really hard um, at it. And, you know, and to, none of us took salaries. We haven't been taking salaries. So, you know, right. it, it's, it's trying to keep that burn rate really low because you have no idea how long your wait is going to be. You know, yeah. there are cannabis yeah. companies that applied in 2013 and they just got licensed in January of 2019. Yeah. You know, so you have no idea. Now, with the micros, we had a better idea. You know, we were looking at a timeline between three months to a year. That was what we were prepared mm-hmm. to wait. And we waited 10 months, which was quite, mm, that's that's still quite yeah. onerous. Yeah. Yep. You still burn through a lot of capital and, yeah. uh, you yeah. know, just keeping the lights on and, and things like that. And so you have to be prepared for that to have that, you know, when's your runway going to run out before mm-hmm. you get that first product to market? Um, so yeah. yeah, there was a lot of, lot of moving parts and, uh, and, and trying to project is very difficult <laughs> when you're not sure when you're going to actually yeah. be allowed to produce. Well, it, exactly. When, when there's some aspect of your business, that's kind of outside of your control, right. From a, from a licensing or a compliance perspective, and you don't know when the, when that license might come through, or you don't know, um, whether there will be additional information required or whatever it is, it's, it is very difficult to, to really try to project out in, in a way that is, you know, somewhat accurate so that you can, um, you can predict that runway. Absolutely. And then all of these challenges, lots of entrepreneurs come up against, you know, when you're waiting for building permits and things like that, you're, you're waiting on government, you know, before you can really kickstart your business. Well, with cannabis, you have a whole other element that most entrepreneurs don't have to deal with. And that's the cannabis stigma. So you've got bank, the banking industry and the insurance industry. These two industries are not cannabis friendly. You've got, um, I had my personal bank account shut down when I went to my bank asking for a loan for my legal cannabis operation. 
they came back with a letter saying that my risk profile has now changed and that my mm-hmm. business was no longer welcome. And mm-hmm. so then I had to figure out where are we going to, how can we operate without a bank account? Right. So yeah. um, we were very lucky. We worked with ATB. Uh, they have been cannabis friendly and super friendly towards small business in Alberta. And uh, we yeah. were able to get a bank account with them and really get going, which, which was huge. And then again, finding an insurance company that would, you know, cover our, that would cover us. Um, you know, that was also very challenging. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, you know, some of the, I, I don't know what to, how to define them, the, the more cutting edge technologies or the more, I guess, um, recent technologies and, and, and products. So cannabis is obviously is one industry that you've talked about, but there can be others in the financial, even in the financial services market, where from a regulatory perspective, these companies, like if you're dealing with cryptocurrency, for example, these companies are required to have the anti-money laundering uh, protections in place and the know your client uh, protections, but they still can't get bank accounts either. And so you have this, this huge uphill battle um, for things that like, you should just be able to go to the corner bank and open up a bank account. But yet in some industries, these kind of everyday things become such barriers to, uh, you know, to, to, to actually carrying out the business, let alone the known regulatory framework of obviously getting the Health Canada approval and, and compliance piece there that, you know, going in, it's all these unexpected challenges that that uh, that come up. One of the questions I was going to ask you is what what's been one of your biggest challenges to date? And would you say that that banking piece initially was one of the biggest unexpected challenges that you had to overcome? Um, I think that was actually minor in the scheme of our business. Uh, it was definitely a challenge at the beginning, but I would say uh, the most challenging part was, was the waiting for the license. When you mm. have a fully built out facility, uh, back yeah. in uh, May of 2019, Health Canada changed the rules on us. They just surprised oh. us. I'll never forget it because I was I was <laughs> on the highway to Jasper, and uh, this email came through, and it was an announcement from Health Canada that anyone applying for a license after that date would have to have a fully built out, compliant facility before they even send in an application. And there was no guarantee that you were going to get a license. Even though you've had to expend the, you know, the capital to get the fully built out lights facility. Yeah. Wow. Try to raise money in that type of climate. It's nearly impossible. And so we're, we're self-funded. I I put in a a portion of the funding and we brought in a private funder and uh, he actually works with us now. And um, you're trying to find financing now, especially after the whole cannabis companies fiasco Mm -hmm. and, you know, just the, the money that has, has just been sieved out of the industry um, has made it very, very, very hostile for small operators. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and even even things like Farm Credit Canada or um, Business Development Canada, they are not warm to cannabis. So, you know, as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur, even applying to you know, specific startup, you know, organizations that are Program. supposed to be there yeah. to help, you know, progress and, and getting through them, they're not warm to cannabis until you have that license in hand. So it's a chicken mm. and the egg kind of scenario. Yeah. It's you have to have the building, but you can't raise any money, you know? So it's, it, it was a challenge for sure. 
How do you keep your mindset focused on moving forward in the in the face of all of these unexpected challenges? Um, I don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Oh. That's the main thing. I, I, you know, I see what's going on out in there. I know what I can control. I cannot control what anybody else is doing. Um, yeah. And so I really focus on what we're doing. I, I, you know, I do follow everything, but I don't allow it to make decisions for me um, because I feel like we are going to come out with our unique brand, our unique product. We're going to have our unique consumer, um, you know, that believes in us. Um, you know, we're really fortunate to be in Alberta where, mm-hmm. um, you know, the government has been really cannabis industry forward. You know, we have more retail than any other province in the country and, yeah. um, and they really support Alberta grown product. And, you know, we're not going to be producing hundreds and thousands of grams of cannabis. You know, we're, we're yeah. a small batch. We're like your little craft brewer or your little craft distiller or your little bakery around the corner. You know, we're going to have our, we're going to feed our backyard and we're not going to worry about anybody else. Hmm. Well, that sounds like it's worked very well. You're, you're ticking off the milestones as we discussed. So it sounds like that's been a, a really positive way to, to stay focused on the things that you can control and then execute on, on those strategies. So more broadly than what we've discussed thus far, as a woman entrepreneur, if you could tell your younger girl entrepreneur self any advice about running a business um, and about the challenges that you'll uh, need to overcome, what would that advice be? My advice would be um, sit down with yourself and know what your values are and what your principles are and know that you'll never waver from them. Um, I feel that there's a set of guidelines out there that, you know, I've set for myself and, and things that I believe in the industry, um, and things that I believe about the industry before it became legal. And, Mm -hmm. and I stick by those principles in my decision making, you know, transparency, you know, be transparent, you know, be honest, be authentic and be yourself. Um, because, you know, I don't, I don't subscribe to the fake it till you make it thing. Um, Mm. I have found that when I voice my struggles or I voice what my challenges are, whether it's to myself or whether it's to my business partners or whether it's voicing it out on Twitter, um, that oftentimes those solutions come because I'm talking about it. So I don't hide what my struggles are. Um, I talk about them and work through them. And and oftentimes I get lots of folks who are much more experienced than me that are offering free advice. You know, they want me to succeed um, because they know I'm here for the right reasons and I stand by my principles. And so I think that's important is, is you know, understanding why you're doing what you're doing, why you're creating this solution for a marketplace and, and sticking by what your plan was. Yeah, that's, that's really, really powerful advice. And I think that applies no matter what industry you're in. Absolutely. So where can our listeners find out more about Parkland Flower? Um, uh, my biggest source of information that I put out is Twitter. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm uh, at Parkland Flower. Uh, uh, that's our company. And then it's just my first name, Kylie, uh, with an underscore at Twitter. So um, I'm there. Uh, we are on Instagram and we do also have a um, um, 
a webpage that it's in construction. It's it's coming. <laughs> Our webpage <laughs> is just parkland parklandflower.com. Again, the many hats uh, thing. That was one of the things right. that we're we're working on and. And uh, we're working on revenue-generating activities right now. We can start working on our website over the next month or so and, and have that out before before our first product gets out to market. It's all in the, oh, it's all in the schedule. <laughs> it's, all, it's all scheduled and all to be done. Mm-hmm. But, it, but for our products, when our products come to market, they will be sold in retailers across Alberta. Um, we've got some really great relationships with some small um, independent operators, like in Calgary, we, we deal with uh, Lake City Cannabis. And then here in, uh, in Edmonton, we deal with Nova Cannabis. You'll see our products in their stores as well. So, um, you know, we're just really excited to bring, um, bring our cannabis seeds, first of all, to Albertans. Uh, we are coming out with seeds that are going to be specifically being good to grow in um, Alberta climate. As well, that's something that we are working on, and we'll have it for the spring. And um, so, yeah, we're just we want to really focus on on Alberta, and you know, so people can grow cannabis and and have that experience. You know, we have such a great outdoor camping, mountains, lakes kind of experience here, and cannabis is always a a good lubricant <laughs> for those types of activities. <laughs> That's right. Well, uh, we'll we'll be we'll be watching the development not only of the website but of the company as it continues to grow. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate uh, highlighting a small Alberta producer. Oh well, our our pleasure. Thank you for joining the podcast today. If you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe or follow to get notified when we have an update.